All right, brothers and sisters, it's so good to be here with you all. Um, my name is uh, Jim Lee, and uh, if you all haven't met me, um, and I'm an alumnus of UT and uh, Christian students on campus. Um, I was here 25 years ago, uh, just like so many of you, uh, enjoying Christ and the Word of God with fellow students. Um, I met, you know, with the brothers. I met with Neil at the CBA, if you all can believe that. And uh, to me, Neil looks about the same today as he did 25 years ago. So, you know, you just keep enjoying Christ and you will never get old. Uh, <laughs> so, okay, how about uh, we, we, as an introduction, we just read a few of these verses. We're, we're on the series on the book of Leviticus. And, you know, Leviticus is not really that familiar, right, of a book to all of us. And, and so this is the second message on the meal offering. So maybe just to kind of familiarize ourselves with the text again, uh, let's turn uh, over the page uh, to the outline. Does everyone have an outline, by the way? Is there every, anyone doesn't have one? Okay, so a couple. Krista, Danielle. Yeah. Okay, amen. Okay, so how about... Uh, for the sake of time, we just read the first four verses, okay, of Leviticus chapter 2, uh, just to kind of get an idea of what's happening here uh, in this chapter of Leviticus with the meal offering. So let's alternate brothers in verse 1 and then sisters, brothers, sisters. Okay, brothers, go ahead. Amen. Okay. So last week uh, we were on the meal offering and maybe just um, to kind of help us all remember what the components are. I'm going to ask for volunteers. Okay. Is there a brother that can, a brother and a sister, the brother first and the sister, who can run down the ingredients, the main ingredients of the meal offering and what they typify? Okay. Is there a brother that can do that for us? All right, Celio. Yeah, Sand. Push out your spirit. Amen. So, amen. Praise the Lord for the meal offering. Amen. There's the fine flour, which symbolizes his humanity. And then there's the oil, which symbolizes the divinity. And then there are mingled, which symbolizes his, his humanity mingled with his divinity. Amen. Then there was the frankincense, which had the aroma of resurrection uh, in his living. And then there was the salt, which was the cross. And then there was no leaven, which symbolizes uh, sin or anything negative. Amen. And there was no honey, which was natural goodness or affection. Amen. Very good. All right. Just went through that. Okay. Very good. Okay. How about, is there a sister? Um, okay. 
Um, so <laughs> I'm just gonna I'm just gonna pick on the sisters from my home meeting. Angela's right here. Angela. <laughs> oh, you have one. Okay, good. Yes. The um, oil, right, represents his divinity. Right. Mm -hmm. The salt represents the cross. <laughs> the frankincense represents the aroma of his resurrection. Amen. Okay, how about Angela and Kareem? Can y'all do it? Oh, okay. You just take an ingredient each. Is that okay? Just alternate? Okay, amen. Very good, very good. Um, so hopefully we can be impressed with this picture. Uh, there's many pictures of Christ in the Bible, and the meal offering is one of them. And it's a very all-inclusive picture with a, all the ingredients typifying different aspects of his person and his work. Okay? So tonight uh, we're going to consider uh, a deep, uh, more intrinsic significance of the meal offering. And how about we all read the title together? Okay. Okay, how about the brothers? Read, read, read the title. Okay, how about sisters, you read the first Roman numeral. Amen. So this is, uh, this is kind of the intrinsic significance that we want to get into of the meal offering. And uh, the burden of this message just so we can, we can sum it up front, is to, we need to see that God's provision of the meal offering is so that we could partake of Christ and enjoy Christ with a view to becoming His reproduction. Okay? So God's provision of the meal offering is so that we could eat of Christ, partake of Christ with a view of becoming His reproduction. And we're going to uh, look at this word reproduction from several different angles from the word. Um, and so let's, I have a long section there in Genesis. Let's, how about let's read that real quick. I, I know probably a lot of us, we, we, you've heard exposition from Genesis before. Uh, but let's, let's read, read this again, okay? So let's, let's alternate and see if you can find a phrase here that kind of stands out, okay? It's italicized to kind of help. Okay, so <laughs> brothers on verse 11 and, and then sisters on verse 12, okay? And God said, let the earth sprout grass, herbs yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit according to their kind, with their seed in them upon the earth. And it was so. And the earth brought forth grass, herbs yielding seed according to their kind, and trees bearing fruit their seed in them according to their time. And God saw that it was good. 
Amen. So I hope when we read this verses, you know, we, we would be impressed with this phrase, according to their kind, right? Uh, the word says this repeatedly, actually about 10 times in this set of verses, that the grass was according to their kind, the sea creatures were according to their kind, the cattle was according to their kind. But when it came to creating man, uh, God didn't say, let's just create man according to their kind, right? Um, actually, God said, let us create man in our image after our likeness. He didn't just say, let us create man according to their kind, right? So the word man here, we have to realize in Hebrew actually is Adam, which means red clay. So in Genesis 1.26, the Lord is saying, let us make red clay in our image and after our likeness, right? So I know uh, even in English, we have this word mankind, right? That means the human race as a, as a species, the human race as a whole, without any consideration, without any really connection. It doesn't connotate God in any way. We have this word mankind. But the thought of mankind is actually not found in Genesis chapter 1, right? Actually, when God created man, his intention was that this red clay would possess his image and his likeness to express him and to represent him, right? And so man in Genesis chapter 1, you can say, is according to God's kind. I hope we can be impressed when we come to this section of the word to see that God actually created man to be part of his kind. God wanted a reproduction of himself in human beings, right? And so um, when we come to this section of the word, you know, it's sad when we come to Genesis, a lot of times the discourse is just about science, evolution. What about this? What about primates? And even you know, among believers, we don't have that much consideration. What was God's intention? What was God's purpose in creating man? Uh, so brothers and sisters, when we come to this section of the word, I hope we're impressed. This is when God saw man, he saw himself. Reproduce, duplicated in an organic way, right? And eventually he told this man, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the whole earth. And then he, he showed man, the tree of life, right? This is significant. Uh, God didn't just make a group of people, right? He just, just conveyor belt, right? You just make one after another. No, what God did is he, he made a single person, a single man. And this man, right, out of his side came, was built a woman. And so you have Adam and Eve. And their uh, commission was to eat the tree of life and as a result of their eating the tree of life, they would be organically multiplied, reproduced. I hope we see this scene in Genesis. God wants man to eat him as life. And as a result of his eating, there will be a reproduction of God in man throughout all the entire universe, right? And so, brothers and sisters, God wants a reproduction of himself. I don't know, you come here to UT, how many here are engineers? You just raise your hands. You usually have a good, good contingent of engineers. Okay, how many here are in the health sciences? A lot of people in the health sciences, right? How many people are in liberal arts? Right? And so, 
You know, brothers and sisters, when God looks at us in this room, I hope you don't define yourself by your profession. I major in this. This is what I do. When God sees us in this room, he sees just Adam, red clay, his, his believers who are in his image, in his likeness, who possess his life to express him. Actually, a lot of times, you know, we just pray about very um, kind of outward things, right? Lord, should I do this? Should I do that? You know what God's intention is? God's intention is to gain his reproduction, right? So today, did you eat him as a tree of life, right? That's what the Lord wants, is for us to eat him, to be filled with him, to be constituted with him so that we could express him, right? We saw how hopefully we can be impressed with God's intention in this creation of man. Whether God, you, whether you become an engineer or whether you do something else, I don't know if how, you know, what God is concerned with is whether intrinsically, constitutionally, we're filled with Christ to express him, right? Okay, so uh, how about let's, uh, brothers, let's read uh, John chapter 12, 24. Okay, so this is one of the clearer verses in the New Testament to show us the matter of reproduction, right? I know um, as believers, we're, we know John 1.29, right? He is the Lamb of God who took away the sin, sin, the sin of the world. But we need to know this aspect of Christ is that He is a grain of wheat. Uh, and on the cross, He was a grain of wheat falling to the earth to die, to bear much fruit. And the much fruit here, who, who's the much fruit referring to? It's us, right? The many grains. Uh, this, this is really a, a good verse to show God's desire for a duplication of himself in man. The many grains are the same as the one grain, as the original grain, right? In life, in nature, in appearance, in constitution, and in expression, right? We're the same as the original grain. Not in the Godhead and not as an object of worship, right? So hopefully we would pick up these words. In life. In nature, in constitution, in appearance, and in expression, right? Okay, how about the sisters read uh, those verses in Acts chapter 9? Okay, so here is Saul. Uh, and he encountered the Lord, right? And the Lord appeared to him, and, he told, and, he asked, and the Lord asked Saul, 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 why are you persecuting me? And so here in this verse, you can see that Paul, even though he was persecuting the, Saul, even though he was persecuting the church, uh, the Lord referred to the church as me, right? And so as believers, we have to see we are Christ, right? I don't know whether that's, Easier to say, the hard to say. How about everyone turn to your neighbor and say, you are Christ. <laughs> uh, that's probably hard to say that, right? Uh, it's okay. We are Christ. Not Christ the head. Not Christ the Lord. Not Christ to be worshipped. But the body Christ. The members Christ, right? Christ, 
as, as the church, we are Christ, but not as an object of worship, but Christ as the many members to express him. Well, whether uh, that was easy to say, hard to say, maybe you couldn't say it, it's okay. Hopefully this light through the years will shine brighter and brighter within us. As believers, we're not simply sinners, redeemed, saved from judgment. As believers, we are members of Christ, parts of Christ, the body of Christ, the duplication of Christ to express him here on this earth. Amen. Okay, so we'll just run through very briefly uh, the, the ingredients of the meal offering, um, just like, you know, the students were sharing. The first ingredient of the meal offering is the fine flour, okay? And, you know, in John 12, it talks about how, Christ, how Jesus was a grain of wheat who fell into the ground and, and died. And so wheat is, represents, signifies Christ in his humanity. But here in this meal offering, uh, the ingredient is not raw wheat, right? Rather, the ingredient is fine flour. And you can underline the word fine. The, the, the stress here is Christ's fineness in his humanity. Uh, his humanity was even, was balanced, was tender, without any deficiency or defect. Okay? Um, I was thinking of this one verse in Luke. Uh, I asked, Jacob, can you read those verses to us? Uh, this is Luke chapter 5, okay, 12 to 16. Amen. So, you know, this account I was impressed with recently. Um, there was a leper that came to him, right? And he fell on his face and he, just be and he begged him. And he said, Lord, if you're willing, you can cleanse me, right? And then the Lord touched him and said, I'm willing to be cleansed. You know, this leper, probably no one has touched him for a long time. Maybe if you see a leper, people w walk wide circles around him, right? And I, was, and, and I was thinking of this account in Luke uh, chapter 8 where there was a woman uh, who, was, who was sick and he asked to touch the fringe of the Lord's garment, right? And so he touched him and then the Lord said, who touched me? And then Peter was saying, in verse 45, he said, actually, this whole crowd is crushing you. What do you mean who touched me? You know, at that time, you know, the Lord didn't have all these bodyguards, you know, just kind of clearing the way for him, Right? At the time, people were just free to come up and touch the Lord and press against him and even <laughs> crush him. But this leper didn't do that, right? Maybe this leper is thinking, it's enough. You just saved me from a distance. It's okay. You don't have to touch me. So he just kind of bowed down and, and begged. But the Lord is not that kind of Savior, right? Jesus is not a Savior that just kind of saves you from a distance, just... Rather, the Lord came up and touched him. And he said, I'm willing, be cleansed. You know, the Lord could have said, be cleansed. That does the job, right? But his touching the leper really shows us his fine humanity, right? Here was a man where 
um, he just did beyond what was expected, beyond what was required. There was power, divine power that flowed out of him to heal this man. But th this divine power came out of a man full of love and full of compassion, right? Um, and the, or the Lord could have said, be cleansed and then touch them, right? But he didn't. The Lord wanted to reach him, this leprous person, as a man. And, as, and after he touched him, he said, I am willing, be cleansed. Brothers and sisters, this is the kind of Savior we have. Amen. Uh, usually, sometimes the, Lord, the kids come in, uh, and they've just been playing in the mud. You know, it's been raining recently. And they come up to me, and it's like, oh, Joseph, just take a shower first. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, constitutionally, we're not that way, right? It, it, we don't, we, we'd rather just uh, keep a distance, especially something that we find unpleasant. But the Lord... As a man in his fine humanity, he was not that way. He was gentle, and he was near, and he was loving, and he was compassionate. What a man, right? Okay, the second ingredient is the oil, signifying the Spirit of God as a divine element of Christ. We need to see here that Christ, in his humanity, he wasn't just moral, just, you know, a product of cultivation. No. Actually, in his humanity, there was a, an element mingled, uh, and that is the Spirit of God as his divinity. Okay, let's read uh, these verses um, in, in, in Matthew and Luke. Okay, Bro uh, brothers first, and then we'll alternate. Okay, brothers. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness. Okay, so in the first verse, uh, I want us to see that he was, uh, Mary was with child of the Holy Spirit, right? That, what, that means the Holy Spirit was begotten in Christ to be his divine essence, okay? And then the second verse, the Holy Spirit descended as a dove upon him. So Christ in this conception was conceived of the Holy Spirit and in this baptism he was anointed with the Spirit. And eventually in, in, in Luke chapter 4 verse 1 it says, Jesus full of the Spirit was led by the wilderness. So we have to see that, that Christ was this kind of person. He wasn't just moral. He wasn't just uh, refined. He was a person full of the Spirit. He was conceived of, of the Spirit. He was anointed with the Spirit, and he was a person full of the Spirit and led by the Spirit. Amen. This is what we see in the meal offering. And so in the verses that we read a while ago in, in verse 2 and verse 4, hopefully we pick up, uh, the, the fine flour was mingled with oil. It was anointed with oil. Oil was poured on it, right? You use these three words, mingled, anointed, and poured. The, 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 the meal offering was something very oily, right? And this is a type of Christ having 
the Spirit as His essence, being anointed with the Spirit, and being full of the Holy Spirit. This was the Lord Jesus' human living. Okay? And then next, the next verse, frankincense, signifying the fragrance of Christ in His resurrection. How many people here have eaten bread with frankincense? Probably no one, right? It's not something that we generally put with bread. But so this is a very particular ingredient in the meal offering is that the meal offering had the ingredient of frankincense, right? And so frankincense was actually an ingredient in the incense that they use in the incense altar. And so as this meal offering was being offered, there was an aroma, a fragrance rising up for God's satisfaction. And this frankincense signifies the aroma of Christ's resurrection. You know, Kyle last week uh, shared something that I really enjoyed. You know, here was Jesus on the cross, right? And he was suffering. He was being whipped. He was being bitten, beaten. He was stripped. But while he was on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing, right? Toward one of the robbers, he said, Today you will be with me in paradise. And toward his mother, he said to his mother, Behold your son. And to John, he said, Behold your mother. So here was Christ um, under intense suffering, but the fragrance was not suffering. The fragrance was resurrection. You know, Isaiah 53 says, He was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. But, but with Christ, what you smelled was not grief, was not sorrow. Rather, the smell was the fragrance of resurrection. What a man this, this person was. And eventually, um, let's, let's uh, read these two outline points, okay? Uh, how about sisters read uh, 2G and the brothers read 2H, okay? Okay, brothers. Christ lived a life according to the highest standard of morality, a life expressing the divine attributes through his human virtues. Uh, eventually, you just run out of words. How do you describe the Lord's human living? Hopefully, we, we would pick up this language, okay? Uh, you know, when I was growing up, you know, the, the, the word that we the phrase that we used was sinlessly perfect. We just don't know how to describe this kind of person. He was sinlessly perfect. Um, like a blank sheet of paper, sinlessly perfect. But hopefully uh, we can see something more here. Christ's human living was spirit-filled and resurrection-saturated. Right? With Christ's human living, it was according to the highest standard of morality, which is his divine attributes were expressed through his human virtues. What a man, what a person this was, right? You know, and eventually, uh, this, this meal offering, um, it, in verse 2, I think, in verse 9 of Leviticus, it talks about how it was a memorial portion, a satisfying fragrance to Jehovah. Um, you know, I was having some fellowship with, that, with, with, with some brothers, you know. Uh, we don't think that much most of the time when we read this phrase, a satisfying fragrance to Jehovah. But, uh, you know, the, the meal offering that was offered by the priest is called the memorial portion. Uh, meaning what was offered was something of a memorial between God and the priest, you know. Uh, 
And I was thinking of this illustration. Suppose, suppose uh, Chris Hall invited me over and, and cooked me a steak. You know, steak is one of my favorite foods. And it's just perfect, right? The marbling and the cut and it's medium rare. It's just perfect. And I could just say, wow, Chris, this, was, this meal was satisfying to me. And you'd say, oh, that's a good steak. But maybe I would say, you know what? I'm going to have a little, build a little statue or like a, engrave a little plaque just to commemorate how amazing this meal was. <laughs> so have a memorial for this meal. You would say, wow, that was a really good meal. Jim was really satisfied with this meal, right? This, this portion that was offered to Jehovah was a memorial portion. Uh, and it was satisfying. to. This is what God was looking for when he created Adam. Amen. He wanted man, a man in the flesh with red clay, but in God's image and God's likeness to express him. And Christ in his incarnation was the fulfillment of God's intention in his creation. And this was satisfying to Jehovah, right? And eventually in, John, in Matthew chapter 3, uh, during his baptism, um, you know, you have Christ there as a man fulfilling all righteousness. You have the Spirit descending as a dove upon him. You have Christ's death and resurrection implied by his baptism. And the heavens open and the Father said, This is my Son in whom I found my delight. Christ was there in his baptism as the reality of the meal offering. And every ingredient of the meal offering was found in him. And the Father said, This is my Son in whom I have found my delight. As precious, now we come to point number three, right? As precious as this Christ is, eventually God's desire is that this Christ, this precious Christ as the fulfillment of the meal offering will be reproduced in all of us, will be replicated in all of us. Isn't that amazing? So um, let's read Roman numeral three altogether. So one big point about the meal offering is that, you know, with the burnt offering, everything was burnt, was consumed uh, for Jehovah's satisfaction. But the meal offering, in verse 2, it talks about how a handful was taken and offered. So the memorial portion was a handful, right? So it doesn't really say how much the meal offering originally was, but it's possible a significant portion of the meal offering, maybe even the majority of the meal offering was for Aaron and his sons, right? And so the meal offering was not just something for God, but it was actually something for Aaron and his sons. And in the Bible, you, your living is determined by your eating. Yeah, You live the way you eat. So for his Aaron and his sons to be eating of the meal offering signifies that Christ was their supply, was their satisfaction, so that they could serve and they could live him, right? And so let's read uh, John six fifty seven together. As the living Father has sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who eats me, he also shall live because of me. Right. He who eats me, he also shall live because of me. Right. So this is a strong principle in the word, is that you live according to what you eat. Right? In Leviticus, later on, Leviticus chapter 11, uh, the Lord said, God said, you will be holy because I am holy. 
And after, and in that chapter, he tells them, these, these are the things you can't eat, then these are the things you can't eat. You know what? In, in Leviticus 11, the Lord didn't say, you will have a, a low cholesterol, heart healthy, low fat diet. No. He told them, you know what? You will eat these kind of animals. Animals that have divided hooves and that choose the cud. What's an animal with divided hoof and choose a cud? An animal with divided hooves and choose a cud is an animal that has discernment in his walk. It's, it's a person that has discernment in his walk. It's a person that, that eats the word and, and processes the word with much consideration, right? He tells them you will eat uh, insects that leap, right? That leap off the earth, right? That means that you, you, you're not going to eat crawling insects, but rather you would eat insects that leap off the earth. That means it's a, it's a person that's not attached to the world, right? And so, you know what? In Leviticus 11, the Lord is saying, you will eat this and you will become that kind of person, right? So for us to eat the meal offering, for us to eat Christ as a meal offering, uh, it, it, it shows us that eventually this Christ, who is so precious to God, eventually becomes our supply, becomes our constitution so that we can live him. Right. And eventually we see this in the last two verses. Right. How about brothers on 1 Corinthians 5, 7 and sisters on the last verse? Brothers. Okay, sisters. So here, Paul was talking to the Corinthian believers, and he referred to them as a new lump, right? A new unleavened lump. This is going back to Leviticus chapter 2. Eventually, the meal offering is not only Christ, but it is the church life, right? And then, eventually, and then the last verse, he says, we are, who are many are one body. Why? Why are we one body? For we all partake of the one bread, right? And so, uh, eventually, this meal offering it's not just Christ and his person and his work, but eventually it is, becomes the living of the priest. And eventually the corporate church life becomes a meal offering. So you just consider our meal offering should have all these ingredients. It should have fine flour. It should have the spirit. It should have salt. It should have frankincense. And no honey and no leaven. You know, I was just considering this week how unusual this meal offering is, you know. Um, if you open up a bakery and you sold this kind of bread, I don't know how well you do, you know. Just kind of, no, it doesn't have the two ingredients that makes bread good. It doesn't have leaven. It doesn't have honey, right? Uh, but it has salt and it has frankincense. You know, in the world, you know, the church is different from any other group you find in the world. It's just different. Um, you know, in the world, uh, a lot of times there's honey, right? You, that means our natural goodness or a natural affection. Uh, that kind of helps things make, make it sweeter. You add honey or you add leaven. You know, in my workplace, a lot of times you get to know people and eventually, you all know this, in the world, that's how people get familiar with each other is they start talking in a loose way. They start joking in a loose way. This is the leaven. In the church, this is not our way, right? There is no leaven and no honey in the church. In the church, we need what? More of the Spirit, 
We need more of the salt that seasons and preserves us. And we need more frankincense, which is Christ in this resurrection. Brothers and sisters, may the Lord gain this among us. Right? Hopefully all of us, we have a habit of eating Christ as a meal offering. Right? And of course, when we come to the Word every morning, Chris was just telling me there was a reading challenge of the New Testament. Hopefully so many of us, we have a habit of coming to Christ and eating Him. This is God's intention, and this is God's will for us, right? Is that we would come to Him and eat Christ. Not just so that we would feel better, but so that Christ, so that Christ would be reproduced in us, and God would have an organic duplication, an organic expression in this whole earth. Amen. Well, it's so good, brothers and sisters, to be with all of you. What should we do next? Maybe we can have a little prayer. Is that okay? Just with our neighbor for two minutes, and then, I don't know. Yeah, amen.